The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Hello and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition. Thanks a lot again for joining us today. We've got a bag of questions lined up, I'm sure although I'm not privy to where we're going to go with today's show. I'm sure it'll be fabulous. The one thing that uh, we will have to stick to is um, right about an hour today. So those of you who use this as uh, uh, soothing conversation while you're on your walks or other exercise regimen, uh, this isn't going to be an hour and 20 or hour and 30 minute workout today. You'll have a 30 minute or a 60 minute workout today. So uh, that said, since we're a little tight, I'm going to bring Jim in immediately and have him get what he needs to say done, and then we'll dive into questions. So, Jim, uh, are you ready? I'm ready. Perfect. Anything? You put me on. You put under pressure again, saying it's going to be an exciting show. I hate when you do that. Oh, I, I didn't recall that coming out of my mouth, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that did. I could be wrong. Should, could have been. <laughs> See, I don't, li- I don't really listen to myself talk, so. Yeah, well, I don't know if today will be exciting. None of the questions strike me as exciting, but we shall see. I do have a list of questions, and folks, we'll kind of jump right into this because I know Chris has a hard break, so he wants to limit it to about an hour in length. That does not give me much time to go down any rabbit holes, but I will try to keep things brief. All right, as we normally do, we're going to begin with uh, Chris's questions first. And Chris, do you want to start with a Social Security like we normally do? Or do you want to you want to be exciting and well, screw things uh, up a little and start with the Irma first? How would you like well, to do that? that'll make it exciting, let's, um, let's do Irma first to break from tradition. So that if, if there's no other exciting element to the show, at least we have that. <laughs> okay, so that's Chris's idea of excitement, folks. <laughs> Answering an Irma question before a Social Security question. All righty, this came to us from, okay, he gives us a hint. He says, mm. hi, Chris and Jim. Uh, Jim and Chris, actually. Mm. Hi, Jim and Chris. I live in the only state 
Oh, I think we've had this hint before, so you're going to get it. Hmm. I live in the only state that has hosted both the Summer and Winter Olympics. I think we have had that before. And I, yeah, so that would be California. Right. He says that California hosted the Summer Olympics in 1932 and 1980 and the Winter Olympics in 1960. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So that California hasn't hosted the Olympics since 1980? Really? They were in the running, but I don't think it, yeah. I think they were on the short list more recently, but didn't make it. Okay. I didn't realize that. All right, he begins. I'm a loyal I am a loyal listener. I want to thank you both for your dedication and commitment to hosting your podcast on a regular basis, even when Jim is traveling. It must not always be easy. It isn't, folks. You don't know how tough my life is. Having to do the podcast <laughs> from the road. Oh. Chris, he has six kids, a couple of dogs, a wife, a full time job at CSU, and he works for me. That's easy. Try doing a podcast from a hotel room. That's tough. I have four dogs, by the way, not a couple. And do you have a dog at your house? I don't. I want to get a dog again. I'm just so torn on it. I keep hearing like a little barking sound in the background. And that's not from my house. It's got to be your house. You have the dogs, not me. I know what my dogs sound like. No, there's no dog in my house barking. Okay. It's all good. Absolutely not. No, if I had a dog, I would tell everybody. Yeah. I want to get another Chessie. It's, it's, it's getting to the point where I might be getting one shortly. My my bad dog self is saying, Jim, it's time for another dog. So okay. we shall see. Okay. okay. I first began paying Irma. So it's an Irma question that he has. I first began paying Irma surcharges in mid-year 2023 when I turned 65 and started Medicare. If anybody is listening and doesn't know what Irma is, Chris will cue you in real quickly what this gentleman's talking about. I retired mid-year 2021, but my modified adjusted gross income did not decline until 2023 due to several factors, including that my wife still works. In 2023, my modified adjusted gross income will be lower than it was in either 2021 or 2022. I understand retirees can file SSA 44 if your income declines after retirement, but I'm not sure if it would work for me to replace my 2022 income with my lower projected 2023 income to lower my anticipated 2024 Irma charges. Man, does this get confusing or what, folks? Hopefully, Chris, you can help us understand what he is asking, replacing his 2022 income with lower 2023 income to lower his anticipated 2024 Irma. Can you add some clarity there to me and everyone else? (laughs) I think so. I think so. So, um, (coughs) excuse me. Sorry. Um, so Irma, first of all, income-related monthly adjustment amount, what uh, I usually call Medicare premium surcharges, is uh, reflecting the fact that if you have a high enough modified adjusted gross income, that's going to lead to higher Medicare premiums if you are on Medicare. A, and the Irma decision for a particular year 
in this year, 2023 is what we're talking about, uh, is by default based on your modified adjusted gross income from tax year 2021. However, if you have what's called a life-changing event, and there's a list of seven life-changing events that are uh, allowed or, or recognized for you to request the Social Security Administration or Medicare to utilize a more recent year modified adjusted gross income instead, uh, because your income is reduced by the life-changing event, that uh, you can uh, file that and maybe get some relief. And that's really what he's looking to do here. So he retired in 2021. Retirement, or technically a work reduction or work stoppage, is considered one of the life-changing events. So that opens the door to filing an SSA 44 request. On the SSA 44, you are then asked, uh, you're first asked the life-changing event, what year did it happen, or actually what month did it happen, and you write that down. And then it asks you, in what year did your modified adjusted gross income decline uh, because of the life-changing event? And in his case, I think he could uh, justifiably write down 2023. Even though the retirement was in 2021, it is fairly common for there to be kind of some lingering effects, maybe some lingering income come in or what have you. So I don't think they're going to push back on you for claiming that 2023 was the year that you really noticed the, the income decline. And you'll include that and you'll essentially ask them with the SSA 44, please use my 2023 modified adjusted gross income to determine my 2023 IRMA instead of using my 2021 modified adjusted gross income. Because you'll be making this request before 2023 is over, although as we record this, we're almost through 2023. But if you were to get this in the middle of the year, what you would do is give them an estimate of what your modified adjusted gross income would be for 2023, and they would trust you, but then verify. They'll wait and get IRS tax records and uh, verify that what you told them your Maggie modified adjusted gross income would be for 23 is in fact true. But they'll preemptively provide you with relief based on your claim that you will have lower, you know, this estimated uh, Maggie for 2023. Well, that assumption, that life-changing event, they assume is you want them to apply to the, the following year as well, so for 2024. And so I think this one episode or one instance of retirement and then having income reduced in 2023 is going to shield you from um, Maggie or reduce it. You didn't, you didn't tell me if it would completely eliminate your Irma because you didn't share with your, me your Maggie numbers. But assuming you get relief um, with the SSA 44 for 2023, it should also provide you relief for 2024. 2025 won't be a question then because 2025 by default is going to use your 2023 Maggie, which you've already said is lower, so you won't be harmed anymore. So this harm that you're trying to avoid is really a two-year uh, time frame for that harm to apply if they don't give you relief uh, and I think this one filing of an SSA 44 uh, will give you uh, relief for both 23 and 24's IRMA. So I think you're fine in, in the way this is going to work. Uh, the only potential pushback is if they argue that the life-changing event in 2021 um, you know, shouldn't really be giving you protection from a 2024 Irma or something. But I don't, I don't think that's going to be the way that works. I think you're going to be fine 
uh, in this. Um, and um, so you may very well have, have filed your SSA 44 already because this email came in a, a bit back. Um, and uh, if you have and it, and it worked, let me know. But uh, I would encourage you to file it because I think you will get some relief if your Maggie is noticeably lower in 23 than it was back in 2021 when you retired. Um, and you might even get another, you know, episode. You said your wife was working and caused, you know, some income, uh, whether she retired or not. That can be another life-changing event that kind of resets the clock on some of these requests as well. You might be able to file SSA 44 again if if your Maggie reduction wasn't significant enough to eliminate Irma completely, it just gave you a lower Irma, you could file it later when the second retirement comes up and get uh, relief even uh, again through an SSA 44 filing. So hopefully that that uh, clarified what's going on in his his case. I think it did. Thank you very much mm-hmm. for for myself and all listeners for clarifying what to me was a confusing question. It gets so confusing because of the two year look back and it just, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's they, they need to simplify it, but yeah, I don't think they ever will. All right. You want it exciting, sir. Uh Oh, I'm about to deliver exciting. Okay. I think, where is it? Okay. So I was looking as you were chatting to find an annuity question. Because third oh. question is usually the annuity question. Yeah, but we haven't done and Social Security yet. I know that. Oh, okay. So I was looking for the annuity question while you were answering this Irma question because then we go to Social Security. Mm-hmm. And I found this question that began with, Jim and Chris, I live in the only state that has hosted both the Summer and Winter Olympics. And I thought to myself, what are the odds? This is fate. This is Somehow, powers of the universe want us to answer this question as well. It has the exact same hint. And it's not from the same listener? Uh, negative. Wow. Yeah, we definitely need to cover that one because that's... I thought so. The universe is telling us something. So are we going to dive into that one? <clears throat> this is excitement, folks. Okay. And it kind of has to do with Social Security. By the way, the answer to the trivia question is California once again. Yes, the answer is California again. But what are the odds that I would just randomly looking for an annuity question and find this question that jumped out? So literally, folks, this is out of order because I already have the Social Security question I want Chris to answer. But let's go through this because it's kind of interesting. I think we can expand upon it even beyond Social Security. She says, I discovered your podcast during the pandemic, and I've been educated and entertained on my walking ever since. There is so much I wish I had learned earlier and so many things I would like to have asked you. So today I will send an email and it has to do with Social Security. I'm 64 and I've been planning to wait till 70 to start my Social Security. I don't feel we need the extra money right now. But I recently used the online calculator the one for folks who are subject to the windfall elimination provision on the Social Security website. And it said my break-even age is 83. I'm going to pause there. I didn't know Social Security's website determines break-even age. Did you, Chris? She said specifically. I don't think think they should analyze Social Security that way. So I'm kind of shocked that they have a break-even age on there. And she said the tool was definitely at Social Security's website? On the Social Security website. 
those a lot of the tools they've had on there historically have been so clunky to use. I don't really go there to use the tools directly very often, so I couldn't really tell you if currently they they give that. That seems odd because that almost is suggesting, you know, trying to give you planning advice, which they're legally prevented from doing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. It is interesting. Okay. She said, so now I'm wondering if I should consider collecting earlier than 70. Remember, folks, she Mm. said they don't need the income right now. But after going to the Social Security website, she's thinking maybe she'd claim before 70. And I could use the extra money to purchase long-term care insurance. So it kind of intrigued me as I was reading this, folks. Okay, they don't need the money. But she is recognizing a a need in their life of long-term care insurance. And she's thinking, why don't I turn the Social Security on, even though I don't need it, and use my Social Security payments to help pay for long-term care insurance? So I was intrigued until I read the following sentence. I have a chronic illness, rheumatoid arthritis, and it is currently well-managed, but it could impact my lifespan or at least my healthy lifespan. But I might also, but it might also mean I now can't get LTC insurance Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm going to pause there and give this listener bad news. Yes, you will not be able to get long-term care insurance now that you are diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis for the very reasons you mentioned. You have it well-managed right now, but it means, and you did say, quote-unquote, your healthy lifespan. Insurance companies know this, and they know the future could mean you will likely need some type of assistance due to your rheumatoid arthritis, and you will not be insurable. Same thing with me being a stroke survivor, as well as having AFib, even though my AFib is under control. And as I said, I've recently been diagnosed with some arthritis in my spine. I'm screwed. I'm not going to get long-term care insurance for any of those reasons, most likely. So she continues, Chris. So, do you think it would be better for me to collect early and save for retirement? And I have a second question. How can I find out if I'm insurable for long-term care? Or do you think I should wait till 70 so so my Social Security payment is greater? I am interested in your thoughts. So, a couple of things are running through my mind. You could try to go through social security, excuse me, through long-term care underwriting, but I'm telling you with a rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis, you are likely non-insurable. There are programs. I know Greg in our office uses a program where he sends a questionnaire to people. Uh, We call it an I-check. It stands for insurability check. People fill in a questionnaire. We send it to our uh, LTC wholesaler, one of the the three that we use. They use that information to come back and uh, let us know if the person would be likely insurable or not insurable. Um, I don't. I'm not sure you should say you. She absolutely could not get LTC insurance because I'm not sure it's an absolute deal breaker. I think it's it'll be hard, and it'll be more expensive at minimum. 
but I'm not sure it's absolutely impossible to get it. So I, I think would, it's, I would wage a listener. If yeah. you, as Chris said, if you want to try it, you got nothing to lose. Right. You can do a quote unquote eye check, but if you truly want to know, you go through underwriting. True. If you want to know, you have to go through underwriting. But my gut tells me, because I know arthritis, we've had people refused before for having arthritis. So it doesn't look good. Right. Now, could you find a company that might insure you? Maybe. Would the premiums be high? Absolutely. You're not going to pay less than someone who doesn't have rheumatoid arthritis. But I was always led to believe that rheumatoid arthritis was, no, they're not going to insure you because the chances mm-hmm. of you needing it are too great. But to truly find out, you go through underwriting. So you can find a long-term care insurance agent. They might do something similar to what we term the eye check. They're going to give you a list of questions to answer. And you answer them truthfully and honestly because the insurance companies will find out later when they pull your medical records. The whole intent of an eye check is to keep you from going through underwriting if you are blatantly not insurable. Getting long-term care insurance is not easy when you get into your 60s, where you are now. So you could find a long-term care insurance agent, see if they can send you, or do they have any type of questioning to help you determine if you're insurable. And if you make it through that first hurdle, then work with the agent to find a policy that you might reasonably be interested in, and then go through underwriting. You're under no obligation to move forward on the insurance. Even if the insurance company or the agent wants you to pay the first month's premium, sometimes you see that. It's rare now, but in the past, uh, insurance companies wanted to see that first premium. Even if you did have to pay that first premium and you decided not to move forward, you get a full refund. So no big deal. Then go through the actual underwriting. And that's where they're going to pull your medical records and they will tell you if they're going to insure you or not. But my gut tells me you will not be insurable, although I'm intrigued with some of what she's saying now, because here we have a situation, Chris, where we have a couple who doesn't need the extra money now, but clearly might have some long term care insurance needs and they're wondering what to do. So she continues, except for this huge unknown now with my long term care coverage I do feel my husband and I are well set for retirement. He is 73. Remember, folks, she's 64. Husband is 73. Our combined government pensions and a very small Social Security benefit provide us $108,000 a year. This will continue at that level even if one of us passes away first. In my first two years of retirement, <clears throat> that 108 has covered all our expenses, fun and minimum dignity floor. In addition, we have 450000 saved in retirement accounts and 335000 in a brokerage account and bank CDs. And our home is paid off and worth 300000 So here, folks, they have a $300,000 home and about $800,000 or so of additional savings, but a pension that at least right now is paying them $108,000 a year, and it covers their fund and minimum dignity floor. I would encourage her to 
break and Chris, you can give your opinion in a second. I think that they should at least hopefully do a better determination of their pension benefit at 108 if it's covering your fund and minimum dignity floor. How much of a spread there is? Is your minimum dignity floor 100,000 and your fund 8,000? I doubt it. But what I'm getting at is I think you might see that your pension income, which is going to stay at 108,000 and they're federal government pensions, so they're going to get COLA increases. I think your pension is going to more than cover your minimum dignity floor for the rest of your life. You don't indicate to us, though, how much are you spending on fun. There is an age difference between you and your husband, about nine years, but he's already getting into his 70s. He'll be entering his slow-go phase. I'm not saying anytime soon. I don't know your husband personally or his situation, but I'm just going by ages where you start to see people as they get into their mid-70s and your husband's 73, they start to slow down a little. Doesn't mean they're not going to go out and enjoy themselves, but they probably won't be doing things as actively as they were in their 60s. We all share this with everyone. You're not getting younger, stronger, and healthier. This is the last third of our lives. It stinks. I'm 60 years old. I know this. I'm torn myself with what I should be doing. But my gut tells me your husband will be slowing down a little. And I think your pension is going to more than cover your minimum dignity floor and perhaps your fund spending. There might be a couple of years where you and your husband, especially with the age difference of nine years, really want to go live it up and maybe go on a, a, a wonderful trip you always wanted to do or go visit grandkids or go buy your loved ones something. I don't know. I'm just thinking of things you might want to do. So there might be a couple of years where you dip into your 800 or so thousand dollars of liquid savings that you have. But I think for the most part, you could be borderline unicorns where your fun and your minimum dignity floor being covered with government guaranteed, full inflation protected, lifetime secure income. So the fact that you might not be insurable for long term care may not be as great a concern as you think. Statistically speaking, your husband will pass away first because he's a man and he's nine years older than you. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but statistically speaking, that could happen. But from your own admission listener, you're going to continue with the 108 of inflation adjusted dollars. Even if your rheumatoid arthritis acts up and in the future you need to go into assisted living or nursing care, $108,000 right now, maybe not, depends where in California you live, because California's an expensive spot, but that's going to come pretty darn close to covering full-blown nursing home care. You might be dollars $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 a year tops short for the worst case full-blown scenario of nursing home care. So I think you have this imposed long-term care benefit that you don't know about. That's 108000 of government pension. Because remember, 
when if your husband passes first in the future and your rheumatoid arthritis acts up and you think, my God, I need assisted living. I'm, it's, I'm done with a house. I can't handle it myself anymore. My husband is gone. And you move into assisted living where you can still live independently, usually in apartments, but you have people coming to check on you and do the heavy lifting, so to speak, by cleaning it and doing other things like that. And they generally provide dinner and you take care of breakfast and lunch, things like that. Your $108,000 plus your $300,000 home plus your eight hundred or so thousand dollars of assets. Now, granted, those will fluctuate due to how fat if you spend from them and how much they grow. I think you're in a much better position than you realize. That's my initial thought. Do you have anything you want to add, Chris? Yeah. Uh, first of all, the you know we're making some assumptions here, and I'm even though there's these nice pensions and they, they say that they continue at full amounts if one of them passes away, I would make sure that is the case um, because not all government pensions do that. Actually, the most popular pension, uh, FERS, does not operate that way. You do not have an option to continue 100% of the pension when one of you dies. So I would... Make sure you know that. Make sure that you've got a, a reliable cost of living adjustment on it before you hang your hat on this pension working, you know, it seems to work well now, but the pension's working well if there's only one of you alive and then also off into the future after inflation has has applied to your expenses, which it absolutely will over time. So the, that's just, I guess, a, a, a word of, of warning to make sure your your situation actually is as you described. And, and I only say that because so many federal government pensions don't work quite the way you're describing. So just wanted to put that out there. Secondly, as far as the... Chris, can I just interrupt sure. you there? Because mm-hmm. yeah. I'm the one who misspoke. She said government pension. I assumed federal government pension. I thought I saw the word first, but as I look back, I don't see that. So yeah, it didn't. It you didn't be, read maybe off she first, has a state but, of California yeah. pension. I don't yeah. know. She doesn't say okay. what government agency. I mm-hmm. I didn't see FERS again as I went back in there. Yeah. So if she has a non FERS pension, but it's governmental, then it might actually work exactly how she's describing. So I I just wanted to put that out there though, just to to have her make absolute sure. Uh, secondly, as far as the calculator goes, I wouldn't play, I wouldn't weigh a lot the break-even points. This isn't a game. This isn't a let's play the odds kind of a thing. It's really how can we use Social Security in a way that benefits us the greatest? Where does it provide its most value to us? Now, some people like them, their Social Security claiming may not have a big impact, because as she said, they don't really need the Social Security. Everything's happening fine for them without it. It's uh, So then that claiming decision becomes, uh, where would I like it to, to give me the, you know, give me help? And while it's unlikely, she was trying to tie it to LTC insurance premiums, but I agree it's unlikely you're going to find either a, a, a policy at all, but even if you did, the cost is going to be rather high with a rheumatoid arthritis uh, diagnosis. So um, I would probably detach it from that. You can certainly look into that, but that's a separate question than the Social Security claiming. And and if she is convinced that, uh, and in, in particular with um, um, 
her husband being older, older, um, there's a lot of variables she's describing here with the her medical diagnosis and then the age difference between the two of them that kind of leads to a conclusion where earlier claiming versus later on Social Security can make perfect sense for some people. And so, um, yeah, I think it's even if they use it for, for fun or other things, not for the LTC premium she was originally describing, it's certainly worthy of consideration. Now, where uh, we like to look at it is, is look at it in a little more detail, make absolutely sure in, in any f- situation moving forward. Well, when I say any, the three main situations moving forward, both of you living a long life together, one or the other of you passing away in all three of those scenarios. Does the secure income, you know, is it robust even with, with an early Social Security claiming decision? Um, we'd want to make sure that's the case because social security being very powerful for people in that it's, you know, a lifetime income source inflation adjusted. There's not a lot of, of that out there when you don't have a pension. So, um, uh, before she decides to claim it early, I would want to make sure there's not a, an, an indicator that it would benefit them, uh, with her waiting, but claiming it early, no matter what she uses it on could make perfect sense in her case, in her case. And it's, it's, uh, I think overall, I think you pointed out that they're in pretty strong position. Um, I think the, the biggest threat is if she needed care, uh, for this, uh, professional or institutionalized care while he was still alive, that can be very expensive. He's going to be ha- still having all the regular household expenses he otherwise would have to pay. Plus having to fund her in an institutionalized setting that will be very expensive and they don't have a lot of you know other assets in order to absorb that so it is there is there is some risk here to the, the you know LTC aging future for the two of them while you pointed out correctly Jim that you know statistically him being older that as she gets older the chances of her actually being the only one still around when needing care you know it's better than if he were younger but it doesn't mean that she won't deteriorate fast enough to have him still be alive and needing to cover all the household expenses. So I would look at that and try to model and look at what it would cost to provide the kind of care you would need while still funding everything for your husband as a uh, outside and and kind of look at it that way. Um, I don't know if Social Security claiming is going to solve that risk for you, but that that is an that's the risk that's kind of popping out to me for them in in what she describes. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I was going to mention but not necessarily for them but for all listeners. We try to explain this to you all the time. The riskiest part for a couple for long-term care is while both of you are alive. For the very thing that Chris described, one of you needs full-blown care beyond the ability for the other spouse to provide. Remember, you both are aging and hopefully nothing's going to happen to you early in retirement in your 60s, like a surprise stroke or you got hit by a car or had an accident and you're now disabled. But I'm talking about normal aging. Hopefully this this occurs later uh, in life. But the the biggest risk for a couple is that one of you, need care, the other couple's unable to provide it because they themselves have also aged, and you need to start paying for care while also trying to maintain a home. 
even if the ill spouse is trying to stay in the home, the other spouse may need to be bringing people in to provide care. So they have to maintain their home and pay for care. And then it's even worse if one of the spouses needs to go into a facility. So that's the biggest risk for a couple. But when one passes away, assuming the finances are such, especially the way we like to do things, where your minimum dignity floor expenses of food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care are covered with lifetime, guaranteed, secure income. Now that surviving spouse has all this income coming in, in her case, $108,000, which is a lot of money, and we'd all be wishing we could have that. But she'll be getting $108,000 uh, a year for the rest of her life. And those dollars can be used to take her out of the house and pay for care. And in a situation that Chris described, if you, listener, needed the care early, it is possible you and your husband together can move to assisted living. Assisted living can allow the apartment set up because it's assisted. you got people helping you, but you still live independently. So the $108,000 now is covering all of those expenses at assisted living. Perhaps you're in an apartment setting and your husband, yes, is older than you and can't provide all your care, but you're in assisted living and there's people coming to check on you and check on him. But that $108,000 of pension, the $300,000 plus in your house, uh, the equity in your home will be greater than three hundred in the future. Your hundred and eight thousand dollar pension, the equity in your home, any savings that you haven't spent, all that wealth can go to your care. So, I'm leaning towards. I don't know what the benefit of you delaying your social security is. That's why I want you to crunch the numbers. Don't listen to two yohoos on the radio uh, podcast. Rather, crunch the numbers. If you can show that your 108 can cover your minimum dignity floor forever. And I believe that's what the numbers are going to show. And a great deal of your fun, you might be a unicorn. At which point, you delaying the 70, what good's that going to do? You're giving up six years of Social Security. If you are still worried about LTC, and I don't think you're going to get coverage with rheumatoid arthritis, turn your Social Security on and start investing those dollars. I don't think you're going to be able to leverage them into an LTC policy. I could be wrong. Maybe there's a company out there that'll insure you. But if I'm right, you can start getting those dollars and investing them. And I'm not saying investing them uh, in, in a bank CD or, or a, a money market account that you have to be, oh, this is for long-term care. I got to be protected on this. No, I'm saying actually invest them based on your risk tolerance because hopefully you won't need to access those dollars until well into your 70s, maybe even your 80s. So you could start collecting money now and you can start investing it systematically, letting it steadily grow, and create this secondary pool 
of, of assets. You've got the current savings you have. You'll have this secondary pool that you earmark specifically for long-term care and aging reserve, not just for you, but for your husband. Because maybe you guys want to try to stay in your home, but in another few years, your husband's going to be 75, 76, 77, 78. You're going to be into your late 60s. Maybe your arthritis is acting up. You want to stay in the home, but gee, I wish we could have someone come cook for us, come clean for us, come take care of the property more. Well, now you have a pool of money because you turned your Social Security on earlier. I don't think the additional Social Security lifetime stream of income is really going to matter much if you truly believe that lifetime secure income at minimum should cover food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care, or your MDF. I think your pensions will more than cover it. So delaying Social Security, to me, I don't know if it's worth it. Instead, start collecting it and start growing a pool of assets that you can use as an aging reserve, not just for long-term care, but for just growing old and wanting to hire people to help around the house and do things. Okay, we beat this horse to death, but uh, pretty good question. I don't know if it's exciting, but it had the same hint, yeah, so crazy. we had to answer it. Nice. Are you there? I am. No, you didn't say anything. It was dead silence. I chuckled a little. No one could hear you were chuckling. <laughs> All right, let's get to a Social Security question, but we'll answer it quicker, Larry, because I know you're short on Quick, time. Quicker, I mispronounced it, but you know what I meant. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. I knew I had it here somewhere. Does he give a hint? Oh, yeah, at the bottom of his email. I don't know if you'll get this one. Hmm. Interesting. State hint. My state has the second highest number of natural bridges and arches in the country. Ooh, Utah. You should have let me finish the question. Oh. My state has the second Highest number of oh, natural second highest. Oh, and arches sorry. in the country mm. behind Utah, of uh, course. You should always wait for the question well, to and be. You, and you said second Brent. initially, but as soon as you said largest number, I'm like, oh, that's a weird one. That's got to be Utah. I mean, they have a, a whole park named Arches. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> anyway, the second. Oh, my gosh. Um I will honestly say I've never traveled anywhere that I really noticed a lot of natural bridges and arches. Um, hmm. You're right. It's, this is going to be a complete wild guess. All I right. I'll give you a secondary I, hint. Okay. I might move there. I think oh, it then on. has to be Don't Kentucky move. because Ohio, I can't imagine. Has Ohio any. is too flat. You right. get you yeah. get a little bit north of Cincy. Right. Towards so it's got to be Kentucky. It it's Kentucky? Kentucky. Oh, fascinating. I had no idea. No idea. Remember, I was supposed to go on the Archipelousa hike when I was out there, but the guy canceled and then I, I died. Remember, I died for three days, but came back to life. Um, so I never got to hike Archipelousa. Mm. Uh, they have arches everywhere down there. So that doesn't mm. surprise me. Nice. Okay. And for those who think I died and came back to life, I, I caught some sort of disease or Internal yeah. gastronomical issue that I won't get into, but it's as gross as it sounds. For three days, it was miserable. 
Okay. Dear Jim and Chris, excuse me, dear Chris and Jim, this is a social security question after all. So see, he, he preached to the choir and put your name first. My wife and I are both the same age and because our minimum dignity floor needs are more. Oh, here's where there's a FERS pension. I knew there was a FERS question. My wife and I are both the same age, and because our minimum dignity floor needs are more than met by our FERS pension, we are considering claiming Social Security early so we can have more fun spending money. Well, I'll say what I just repeated to you know what I said to that previous listener. FERS does not have 100% survivorship on their pensions. The most you can get is half. So make sure that you're not focusing just on when the two of you are alive and you're considering your secure income situation when one of you passes away because it's there when having a nice, healthy Social Security benefit might be of of uh, help to that survivor. So. Okay. My question involves how the survivor benefit is impacted as my Social Security benefit is more than my spouse's. So if I pass, she would claim the survivor benefit. Mm -hmm. An option, of course, is for both of us to claim early at 62. But we are considering having only my wife claim early to allow my benefit to grow to maximize the survivor benefit to us. Some folks might be sitting there saying, well, what about WEP, Jim? What about GPO? FERS pension is not impacted by that because they participate in the Social Security program. You generally see WEP and GPO when you don't participate in the Social Security program. Mm -hmm. Okay. An option, of course, early. Okay. Okay. If my wife claims early, am I entitled to claim a spousal benefit from her while I delay? And if so, how would that impact the growth of my benefit as it relates to the survivor benefit my wife can claim? Thanks for the show. So I'll handle the latter part first. Um, No, you cannot be collecting a spousal benefit while having your benefit grow in the background. That you could never do that as young as age 62. You used to be able to do that. Um, once you reach your full retirement age, but even that is not allowed anymore either. That is called filing a restricted application uh, for spousal benefits, and you you cannot do that. When you file, you are deemed to be filing for both your benefit and your spousal benefit simultaneously if you are eligible to receive them. So no, you can't. If your wife claims early, that doesn't allow you to claim a spousal while you let yours grow. If you want yours to grow to maximum size, which would be your age 70, you're going to have to not claim anything during that time period unless your wife passes away. That, then the story changes, but that's not part of his story here. So, um, But back to his original question, how does the, social, the survivor benefit work? Think of it this way. Your wife would be eligible to receive a benefit equal to your benefit that you were receiving at the time, or if you weren't yet claiming Social Security when you passed away, what benefit you could you would have been receiving had you claimed the day before you died. So that's the general rule. There are some adjustments there uh, in order to receive the amount that you were collecting. 
your spouse, when they claim that survivor benefit, will have had to have reached their own full retirement age for survivor benefits. So if you die at a really young age and your wife is still quite young, below full retirement age, then to get the full survivor benefit I described, she would have to wait until reaching her full retirement age before claiming it. Uh, also, if you were to claim your own benefit really young, like you, you mentioned you're now thinking about waiting to 70, but if you decided to claim it at 62, um, which sounded like you were, you were contemplating this, um, your wife is protected from that harm because you will have been, you will be claiming a much lower benefit for yourself, which not just affects you while you're alive, but also the survivor benefit for your wife. And there are certain protections in place that will make sure your wife isn't harmed by too badly it is there's still some harm uh but harm too badly for um uh, as a result of you claiming your own benefit at a really young age like 62 63 etc so but the general rule think of it this way if if um, you both live at least to full retirement age what's going to happen is if you pass away your wife will receive what you're either collecting on the day you passed or what you would have been collecting had you claimed the day before you died. That's the way I kind of find it easiest to describe uh, how that survivor benefit will work. Was that my cue? That's your cue. Excellent. Okay, perfect. How much time do we have left? Uh, One more question. In time, time, folks. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. All right, I'm going to hold off on the new question of the week, which was going to be an annuity question, um, because I think I can opine for that more than 10 minutes. I'm going to try to get two questions answered in that 10 minutes. How's that? All right, Jim and Chris, I don't think they give a hint. Oh, they do. I'm from the state with the first moving National Historic Landmark in 19... Oh, I can't give the actual answer because that would give it away. The first a moving move, a moving national historic landmark. I didn't even know there's moving national historic landmarks. I don't even know what that would be. Well, I, it, it moves. It, it's it's, I, it's an I, I, item that moves. <laughs> They're uh, from a state that has these items that move, oh. and these items were named. As National Historic Landmarks. Oh, the items. I was about to say the Space Needle because it's kind of a landmark and it, it moves, but I, I... No, this thing actually moves from point A to point B. Could be the first subway or bus line or something, maybe. I have right, no we idea. only got 10 How minutes, about New, New York? Negative. California. This is all California questions. In 1964... San Francisco cable cars were officially oh, named the yeah. first moving National Historic Landmark. Nice. Well-deserved. Well-deserved. Okay, here's the question. Hi, Jim and Chris. I haven't seen this covered anywhere mm-hmm. since it's kind of a retirement planning question. I thought I would ask you. Is there a way to convert IRA mutual funds? Is there a best way to convert IRA mutual funds to ETFs held in the IRA. Do you just go for it and sell my, should I just go for it and sell my entire $2 million of mutual funds at one time and buy ETFs the next day? Or should I do it in stages? 
so you don't run the risk that the mutual funds tank before they are sold at market close and then the market goes up immediately the next morning before I could buy my replacement ETFs. I know there's no perfect way to time the market, but I thought you might have some sort of strategy for doing this. I have my money in a Vanguard account and pay no fees for trades. Okay, couple of things, listener. You say you have your money in a Vanguard account, but you don't say if you have Vanguard mutual funds and you're looking to get into ETFs. I would first look to see if the mutual fund you have has an ETF option. Because oftentimes, the mutual funds will allow you to switch into their ETF options. And uh, we're, we're doing this now. I forget uh, Jacob's not on this, but Jacob is doing this now. I think it's with some T. Rowe Price holdings that we're moving into. No, excuse me. It's another one. Um, T. Rowe Price, we are doing something. We're moving T. Rowe Price mutual funds into lower institutional share prices. But there's another company we're moving their mutual fund into an ETF. It's not T. Rowe Price. My point is this, get a hold of the mutual fund company, and hopefully everything's at Vanguard, and you can ask them, do these mutual funds have an ETF version? If so, you're going to be able to move them smoothly, instantly. Follow the rules that Vanguard will set of what you need to do and how you need to do it. Jacob is following these rules, moving uh, mutual funds into institutional shares. We don't have to sell the non-institutional share mutual fund and buy the institutional share mutual fund. It's being done seamlessly and it's being done at Schwab, which isn't even the issuer of the mutual funds. Remember, I said T. Rowe Price is the issuer of the mutual funds. So that's the first thing I would look for. Get a hold of Vanguard, call them up and say, hey, I've got these mutual funds. Do you have an ETF version? If you're using Vanguard for its brokerage services, so you have mutual funds from other companies besides Vanguard, get a hold of those mutual fund companies directly. Tell them, hey, I have your fund, but it's at Vanguard. I'm just curious. Do you have an ETF version of this mutual fund? If so, ask them if they will allow it to be transferred into the ETF. Then you got to get a hold of Vanguard as the custodian and see what they require you do in order to be able to do that. That's specifically what we had to do with Schwab. We had to find out what their rules were. When can we do this? How do we do this? We know we could do it. We just needed to find out from them how they want to do it. So that would be my first recommendation is just find out if the mutual funds have that ability. Mm -hmm. If they don't and you're in some sort of mutual fund and you found on your own an ETF that you like better that has a similar strategy, then yes, you, you did point out there is a risk there. And the risk is mutual funds only trade at 4 p.m. Eastern time. You have to have the trade order in before market close. You could put that trade order in long before market close. But I, you seem to be worried about that. Gee, if I 
put it in at eight o'clock in the morning and by four east and the market's tanking that ETFs, the, excuse me, that mutual fund's going to be sold. Well, you can put the trade order in, especially if you're doing it online yourself before market close. And that way you'd know if the market is tanking at the last minute. But yes, you would have to put the trade order in by 4 p.m. Eastern. So you're uh, in California. So that's going to be one o'clock in the afternoon, your time. So you would put the order in and then the following, I don't want to say the following day because I don't think the money from the mutual fund is going to be in your account that quickly. I think it's going to be a T1, T2, uh, trade plus one, trade plus two type of weight. Mm -hmm. So you might not get the cash into those accounts for a day or two, especially if they're not Vanguard funds. Vanguard might get that money into your Vanguard account a lot quicker than another mutual fund company would if you're holding it as a, a brokerage asset. But yes, once the money is in there and available to you, then you go buy the ETF. Theoretically, what you described could happen, massive crash or massive rally that you miss. But does it really matter, listener, seriously? It's not. In the grander scheme of things, if you ended up having to pay half a percent, a percent more than what the mutual fund was worth when you sold it, it's in the long term, it's not going to matter. I think you're overthinking this like most Vanguard engineers. You're way overthinking this. If the ETF is going to give you significantly lower fees, which is what I assume you're doing this for, and it has a superior maybe indexing strategy where most ETFs are index funds, maybe you're leaving active funds and you're going into index options, you, you might make up more than enough in fee savings every year to more than offset what could happen in the brief, very, very brief time that you're out of the market. But I would check first to see if there is an ETF version of that fund and if you would be allowed to convert your mutual fund shares into that ETF? And if so, it could be done seamlessly. And then if not, I don't think there's any trick, any right or wrong answer. You just got to bite the bullet, sell the mutual fund and buy the ETF. And hopefully the fee savings alone will more than make up for any fluctuations in value while you're selling the mutual fund and buying the ETF. But the, the, the notion that because you're going to be out of the market for 12 to 36 hours is going to somehow ruin things, I, I just think is is a little bit of overkill. Anything well, you if you're worried to about that, you could stage it and do it in chunks instead. But Right. She asked if that would yeah. be viable. So Chris mm -hmm. is right. I didn't read that part. But yeah, you can do it in stages if you're worried. I, I would just pull the Band-Aid off and go for it if it were me. But I would first check to see. Uh, if you can transfer any of those funds, especially if you have your money at Vanguard. Vanguard has created a lot of ETF versions of their funds, and they're trying to get people to go into their ETFs. Right. So I would first check there. Yeah. All right. Um, does that it, or do we have No, that's one? it, because I get, that's it. yeah, that'll have to be it. No problem. We shall hold off on the last one. Okay. Well, thanks. It was a semi-exciting show, especially since we had two random people with the exact same hint that in and of itself provided it's excitement. a, yeah, it a get certain level of that. excitement. So thank you for pulling through again and, and delivering. 
Um, we want to thank everybody for listening. If you want to send in your own questions, send them to Jim directly, jim at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S.com. Make sure in the subject line you indicate that it's a question for the podcast. And hopefully we'll cover your question uh, on the show. And, and we look forward to your um, your hints, even if they match someone else's hint. Can't prevent that. Those were good <laughs> hints. But, uh, Jim, you have a nice weekend. And for everybody else, we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saunier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 